someone with your travel experience, I, 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 I'm starting out, I need to create my bucket list of the five places I, I absolutely want to photograph. What, what's your suggestion? What are the top five places you've been to and photographed? Well, uh, having been to so many countries, believe it or not, right. I might say start out in... Nope, not yet. You'll have to listen to this episode to get Rick Salmon's top five travel photography locations. Not to mention how he started in photography, how he plans his trips, and how he goes about capturing his striking images. We are inspired and educated by Canon Explorer of Light, Rick Salmon, on today's episode of EOS Photographer. there, Canon friends. Welcome to the EOS Photographer Podcast. If you are learning photography using your Canon gear, you're in the right place. Here, we speak with great photographers and extract practical lessons for you. From Rebels to 5Ds, the gear you own is the gear we'll feature. Now, here's your host, Linford Morton. Hi there, and welcome to the EOS Photographer Podcast, episode 115. This is Lynn, and I am really excited about the episode I have for you today. I speak with none other than Canon Explorer of Light, Rick Salmon. Now, we all know Rick is a prolific photographer, but what I love about him is that he's always a consummate teacher. Talk with Rick for more than five minutes, and you are likely to learn something about photography. After that, a life full traveled, and you might see how I had trouble deciding how to narrow this interview. Rick never disappoints, so you will enjoy my interview with Rick Salmon right after this. Today's podcast is brought to you by the EOS Photographer Amazon Store. Now, Amazon is wrapping up Prime Day, 48 hours of their best deals. So I thought it might be a good excuse to let you know that you can support the podcast by using our Amazon links when you make your purchases there. If you go to eosphotographer.com forward slash Amazon, you will get the portal into our Amazon store. Now, in honor of Prime Day, I also shared links to my favorite Canon Prime lenses. Any one of those lenses from the 35 millimeter to the 200 millimeter would be a great addition to your arsenal. I also have links to Canon's latest releases and some of my recommendations. It's a good resource. Go check it out and support the podcast at eosphotographer.com forward slash Amazon. Rick Salmon, a tireless and prolific image maker, is one of the most active photographers on the planet dividing his time between creating images, leading photo workshops, and making personal appearances. Rick's enthusiasm for digital imaging is contagious. He's a man on a mission, a mission to make digital photography fun, creative, exciting, and rewarding for others. I find he's one of the busiest photographers I know. Rick is always traveling somewhere, yet he still finds time to share lots of his great images and commentary from his social media accounts. 
and he's always planning something. So I'm glad we got him to take a few minutes and chat with us about his life and photography. All right. I am with Rick Salmon, the Rick Salmon, Camden Explorer of Light. Rick, how are you? I am doing so well. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to uh, be talking with you again. It is. I always enjoy talking and hanging with you, Rick. So I'm, I'm glad that you could spend some time with us. Well, you know, go ahead. No, we Sorry. had so much fun in Fossil Rim. Remember that? That workshop? I do. I do. I do. I always remember, and I'm, I still have to find a way to work this into something, how you taught lighting in two minutes and we timed it. <laughs> yeah, daylight fill and flash. <laughs> a two-minute tutorial yeah. live by Rick Salmon. I well, you know, it. it's not that hard. You know, no, t- today no. with the technology that we have, you know, my promise is that I could p- teach people a uh, daylight fill and flash in seven minutes or less. It, and now, you know, sometimes it can be two minutes. <laughs> yeah, we timed it. So, and I have it somewhere recorded. That was a lot of fun. So, so Rick, you know, one of the things I think about, I've been hearing about you and following you, it feels like forever. And I'm wondering when this all started for you, this career, and like, do you remember the first time you picked up a camera? Well, actually, my a lot of your listeners probably don't remember the show <laughs> weren't born <laughs> weren't born in the 1950s. But there's a there was a show in the 1950s called Person to Person, and the host okay. was Edward R. Murrow, uh, one of the most famous uh, journalists of all time. Right, And in the show, he interviewed people. But before that, he was a World War II uh, correspondent. Anyway, mm-hmm. my father was a technical editor of Person to Person. And wow. uh, one of that's that was his uh, official title. But one of his jobs was to go to Marilyn Monroe's house, Joe DiMaggio's house, Humphrey Bogart's house with his four by five inch Linhoff uh, view, his uh, Linhoff uh, film camera, four by five film camera that we still have. And he would photograph the houses and bring bring the pictures back to our house, develop the pictures in the basement, which I helped them with. And my mother would sometimes hand color these pictures and he would bring them to work so they could figure out where to place the lights. So since I was about, you know, eight, <laughs> uh, uh, I was into uh, into the fascination of photography. Wow. And when did you fall in love with it? Uh when did I fall in love? I think I fell in love with uh, in that, Susan, my wife and I, who you met. Yes, we got married in uh, nineteen seventy-five. Uh, again, before no. some of your listeners were born. Right. No, I met with photography and not with Susan. I, I know. I know. I know. Okay. I know. Okay. Well, I, I fell in love with it before that, but anyway, in nineteen seventy-five, uh, we went to Hong Kong. Okay. And uh, I borrowed my brother's camera and I took some pictures and I said, this is amazing. This is just like totally amazing. And I sent them around to a a magazine at the time called Lens Magazine, which Mm. was the editor was Barry Tannenbaum, who's still around today editing great stuff. And he gave me the cover and he gave me like a spread inside of like, uh, I guess, four or five spreads. I said, "Hey, this is easy." And you know, you I I got shoot, you got the cover. You got the cover. I it was a picture of a Chinese man uh, mm-hmm. holding up his finger asking for one more dollar for a picture. But anyway, you know, I had gone to Berkeley College of Music in Boston and I wanted to be a musician. So I got the cover of this and then I had a, another I took another picture and I sent it to a magazine called uh, Technical Technical Photography and I got I got in there. So I said, "Hey, this is easy." But anyway, going to Hong Kong and 
capturing people like today, <laughs> as you know, Lynn, I tell people my specialty is not specializing, but when it comes right. down to it, I do love photographing people. So I would mm-hmm. say I really fell in love with photography in, um, in 1975. Interesting. On that Hong Kong trip. Huh? Yes. Okay. And, and, you said this is easy, but but clearly you had a knack for it. It was, was part of the what you fell in love with was what the, the taking of the pictures, the seeing the product, how it seemed natural for you. What 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 did you like about it? I think it was like bringing back the memory and saying that I could do this. You know, like <laughs> play play in a play in Santana. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I was at Woodstock in 1979, in 1969, and I wanted to, you know, uh, you know, be in a band. And I said, man, Santana's good. So I tried to play those solos. Those solos are not easy to play. But, you know, no. for, so photography is a lot easier than playing a rock or a jazz solo. So I think I just fell in love with the, the creative process. And it was just magical back then. And, you know, back then, as you know, I shot slides because every serious photographer shot slides. Right. And people... Young people today who've never shot film, I'm sure some of your listeners have never shot film, do not know how lucky they are. I mean, with slide film, mm. do, you, do, you, do you remember the BLH rule? Um, remind me. Bracket like hell. Yes, yes. <laughs> when, you had, when you had a slide film, you had to bracket like hell right. in like quarter stops, mm-hmm, you know, to mm-hmm. get it right. Now you shoot a raw file and you could be you know, several stops under or maybe oh, a right. stop over and still get it with a raw file. So it's uh, back then, you know, it was a challenge. It was very satisfying. But, you know, and you know, actually getting back to the people pictures, sometimes I, I get emotional, seriously, looking at either those pictures or pictures of like a Buddhist monk in Cambodia or someone I photographed mm. in China or Laos or uh, India, uh, Nepal, uh any, any of these places, I, I realize that these people let me into their li- these strangers in strange lands, let me into their lives for mm-hmm. a few seconds. And now they've forgotten about me, I'm sure, which is okay. But they're still, a, a, in a lot of cases, a big part of my life. I look at these pictures and I say, man, I can't believe I was able to uh, interact with that person, you know, in that remote location, like in uh, Sri Lanka uh, or, or wherever. Yeah, that that's always a um, fun for me. I think when you photograph someone, you almost know them on the picture, and remember that moment more than they would. I've yeah. bumped into people I photographed years ago, and they don't remember it. But I like I know your face so well because I stared at it, you know, doing the editing and everything else. Mm-hmm. So when did you turn pro? Well, uh, <laughs> this is such a long story. From ah. ni- from nineteen eighty. 1980- from 1980 to 1990, I was, uh, believe it or not, the vice president group supervisor of the Minolta camera account, the PR account. <laughs> at, at my, and my, Jacobs. First, my, my first SLR was a Minolta, so yeah, yay, the, go what, on. The, the SRT 101? No, XGM, I think it was. I know, well, yeah, that came after the XGM. I think yeah. that was an autofocus camera. Yep. Yeah, well, the SRT 101 was manual anyway. Uh, I was hired with no experience at all for that job because the agency liked my skills in photography and I guess in working with people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So from 1980 to 1990, I was the uh, vice president group supervisor. But I I really didn't like the job. I took the job for the money because back in the 80s, all the camera companies were doing so great, right? Remember? Yep. 
And so I took it from the money, but five years into it, I said, I got to get out of here. Now, part of my job there was PRing famous photographers, Harry Benson, right? Beatles photographer, mm. Robert Farber, uh-huh. uh, still doing amazing work, John Isaac. So I was, I was like their PR person and I would, you know, through the agency, I would help them get on TV shows and help them with their exhibits. And I said, you know, I'm sitting behind the desk in the three-piece suit, <laughs> taking the train <laughs> an hour to work in the morning, coming back. And these guys are like, you know, they're in their, sh- in their uh, T-shirts and their jeans and their creative <laughs> scarves. And they're having exhibits and they're doing all So I want to live that life. Mm. So about halfway through, I made a plan to get out of there in five years. I read uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer's book, Real Magic, uh, which I recommend to every Every person who wants to um, uh, create their own reality, and this is what mm-hmm. he talks about in the book that we can we can create our own reality. The full title of the book is "Real Magic: Creating Miracles in Your Everyday Life." And so I read that book, and I said, "You know, if these guys Farber and Benson and Isaac can do it, you know, I can do it." He talks about believing in yourself, mm-hmm. and that you have to believe in yourself. He also talks about that if you start living the life you want to live. That becomes mm-hmm. your life. So mm-hmm. five years into it, I'd go on vacation when I had this plan to get out in five years. <clears throat> and I'd go on vacation with the Africa with Susan, my wife, again, because the agency paid very well. And mm-hmm. I'd, ha- I'd wear like the photo jacket, the vest, right? I'd play professional <laughs> photographer. Apart. I'd come back. The, ne- the next year, I took two weeks vacation, right? And I played. Next year, I took three, three weeks vacation. So the last year, I took four weeks vacation. I came back and I got fired. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, I wanted to get fired. Okay, okay. And I, I don't recommend this to your listeners, but the thing is, if I had quit, if I had quit, I wouldn't get any unemployment. So in addition mm. to saving for five years, I knew if I got fired, I'd get like a great package because I'd, I'd been there for 10 years. Right. So it were, And that was a nice cush, too, because they gave me a great deal. So I would say in 1990, I turned I turned uh, pro to get very serious about that. And since then, I've written uh, 38, bo- actually uh, 39 books. Mm-hmm. And number 40 is coming out later this year. My goodness. When you started, how, is this the career you envisioned or what did you think it would look like? Well, that's, that's, <laughs> I, I never envisioned doing this, you know, Susan and I, yeah. and I say this cause I'm old, I'm almost 70. Uh, we've been to a hundred countries. I never envisioned being to almost a hundred countries and photographing all these cultures, meeting these people, writing the books. I just want, I just thought, okay, I'm going to be a professional photographer. You know, like they say, <laughs> there's this, an expression about uh, something about uh, the more, you know, the realize like the less, you know. Right, like I had, right. I had no clue. One clue I did have, and this I think is important for your listeners, is the importance of being a business person. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I, that's one of the things I learned at the agency, how to promote a photographer like myself and how very, very important it is to make business decisions and not just, oh, you know, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to hire, you know, this model or whatever. Everything I do and have done since then has been based on, a, I would say, almost everything, a solid business decision. No, the, this is so good. And uh, I remember I was just having, I was telling you, I was having a conversation with another colleague. We were talking about you. And I said, 
when I was at Canon, I got more and better pitches from you than anyone else in the industry. It, it was, there was always a solid idea behind the pitch. And I, and I always went, hmm, that's a good idea. <laughs> if we had the time to do all of these things, we'd just have the Rick Salmon show. This would be great. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, very that, that's that's been pretty interesting to watch. But, now, but you, I, I will say this, if I may. You know, your listeners might be saying, oh, this guy, this guy is, you know, he's 38 books, 39 books, going to have 40. He's been to 100 countries. I have to tell you this, that, well, I don't have to. I'd like to. Uh, okay. You know, being a freelancer like myself, it's uh, kind of like being on a roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. The highs are high and the lows mm-hmm. are lows. And that's sure. really still today. And I think uh, most of your guests, if they're honest, would would agree, uh, professional mm-hmm. photographer guests. But I will say this, being on that roller coaster is a ton more fun, more exciting than being on the merry-go-round, which I was at the agency. Right. No. So I, I like, I, I've used that a lot, the uh, roller coaster merry-go-round uh, no. uh, scenario. Amen to that. I, I can definitely uh, understand what you mean there. Okay, so you um, you are going to 100 countries and writing 40 books. Here's just a sort of a trivia-ish question before we get into sure. the meat of How many images do you have on your hard drive? I've always wondered this because you seem to have an image for every situation when, when you're posting on social media. Yeah. Uh, well, I actually have two hard drives in my office mm-hmm. and uh, two hard drives in my house. And I don't have anything on the cloud yet. I know your listeners saying, well, you should be putting stuff on the cloud. I don't have, do you have stuff on the cloud yet? I, I do some and not probably not as much as I should. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know I should. But uh, anyway, I have what I call, to answer your question, <clears throat> I have what I call, and I've had this for years, my one picture promise. Mm-hmm. My one picture promise is this, is that, is that if you're in a situation, if you say to yourself, if I could only take one picture, if I only have one picture left on my memory card, you know, what would that one picture be? I promise my students when I tell them this, that they'll get a higher percentage of keepers, higher percentage of more creative pictures and Mm -hmm. fewer outtakes. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, I don't have that many pictures. Like, you know. Really? Yes. I'm sure it's, you know, tens of thousands. But, you know, do you know what uh, OCD is? There's a lot of Uh different. The types of OCD. One is obsessive clicking disorder. <laughs> and I was on a trip to Africa, and uh, two people on the trip had OCD, obsessive clicking disorder. They're just <laughs> clicking, and and at the end of the uh, at the end of the day, a person said, "I shot four thousand pictures." Wow. Well, I, I wanted to say, well, how many? You got to edit those. Yeah. How many great shots did you get? Right. So I encourage people to f- to follow that one picture promise to take fewer pictures. Now, if you're photographing a you know bald eagles flying at ninety miles an hour in Alaska, where you have dark feathers and uh, white feathers and the lights changing, the backgrounds changing, you can't follow that exactly. But you could say, okay, I'm only going to take pictures where the sun is at my back, so the eye so the eye is lighted, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I really recommend not taking. Uh, I, well, it's using the spray and pray approach basically, and use a bow and arrow approach. You know, don't use a shotgun approach. Hope you get something. Use the uh, use the uh, the bow and arrow approach and target your shot. 
Rick, I love how you turned my question into a lesson. That's, <laughs> that, that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> good stuff. I love it. Tell me, you are you're going to all of these trips. How do you start preparing for the next trip? I am going to, you know, Utah in a month. What should I do? Right. Well, I, I researched the uh, the uh, location thoroughly. I re- researched the weather. Right. Mm-hmm. I researched the customs. Uh, Susan and I were in uh, the Royal Kingdom of Bhutan, and we went there to what's called the Paro Festival, P-A-R-O. It's held in um, April. And all these people in these costumes get together, and they dance around. They have these black hat dancers and these people with uh, all these exotic costumes. So I, I was researching, you know, you know, I want to get pictures. So I, re- I found out. This is why it's important to do research on cultures uh, and religions, that before these like black hat dancers come out and uh, do their performance, the Buddhist monks come out and they bless the ground and that you're not supposed to walk on the ground. So imagine if I was there, right, and I didn't know this, I'd go with my clodhopper size 13 hiking boots, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it would be terrible. So researching the weather is important so you know what to wear. And then, you know, depending on the location, like uh, Susan and I just came back from the high Arctic where we had a possibility of seeing polar bears. We didn't see them, but we're going back again next year. So I hope we see them. But anyway, so I'm bringing a, a zoom lens, zoom telephoto lens for that, Canon 100 to 400. But mm-hmm. I'm also bringing my uh, 8 to 15 fisheye lens. So mm-hmm. depending on the location, if I'm going to do the national parks, you know, I'll bring a telephoto lens. But I just did something in the city, a project in, in New York City, and I didn't bring a telephoto lens. I just brought my 8 to 15, my 16 to 35, and my 24 to 105. How do you so since we since you're talking gear, how are you deciding which focal lengths or lenses you're taking? Is it based on the images you think you want to capture? Yes. Or okay. Yes. So Tell like I know the polar bears that. are not going to be close. So I'll bring the one hundred four and then actually with a one point four X converter. Right, right. You'd want them to be that distance. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, very good. So, so you're you're looking at customs, you're looking at weather, you then you're translating that to what kind of gear you're going to take. Do you travel with a lot of lenses? It sounds like just two or three for at least those two assignments. Yeah, I I actually don't travel uh, with a lot of lenses. Uh, I take a backup lens as a twenty four to one hundred five is my favorite. Wherever I go, I'll bring two of those, mm-hmm. and I'll always bring a. Two camera bodies. You never know what's going to happen. And fortunately, Susan, my wife, is an iPhone photographer, and mm-hmm. she carries like an extra telephoto lens backup for me. So my backup for my one hundred to four hundred is a seventy to three hundred. Okay. So the other thing you have to research is uh, the medical stuff. Uh, you know, like we're going to China, and you need you know this kind of shot, that kind of shot. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. Right. So you know that's important too, because being healthy is so very important. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so you you've you've got the gear, and you're going. Do you you talk about the one picture promise? But do you have a shot list beyond the one picture? Like, are you thinking what story you're telling? Like, what's your 
planning uh, or how do you envision what the final product would look like? Yeah, I I do have a shot list and very interesting that you brought that up. And the first thing, one that comes to mind, I I did an article about two years ago for the Canon Digital Learning Center called uh, Sri Lanka Sojourn, you know, which is another word for like a travel. Uh, Right. And the opening picture for that is a picture I went to Sri Lanka to get. It's a picture of these stick fishermen. So these fishermen on some sticks at sunset with the sunset behind them. So they're silhouetted. I see. I remember that picture. And I wanted to get, we looked all over Sri Lanka for that picture. And so that was really on my hit list. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then I got, you know, there's always surprises. But I I go with like, if I'm going to go for, you know, a, like in Antarctica, I've been to Antarctica a few times, and I wanted to get you know portraits of the uh, uh, king penguins. Uh, there, you can't find emperor penguins there, but they're a little harder to find. They look similar, but anyway, the uh, king penguins. I wanted to get portraits, so you know tight headshots, but I also wanted to get pictures that shows. And I'm not exaggerating like I usually do. <laughs> I, I have a frame where there's probably two to three million, two to three million penguins in the uh, in the scene. So I wanted to, I, I like to tell the story. On that note, <clears throat> I recently reviewed someone's portfolio from India. They had just come back from India. And there's like a thousand, I'm exaggerating, you know, there's dozens of headshots and that's mm-hmm. all it was. And they were beautiful headshots, but they didn't tell the story. So right. what I encourage people to do is, like with it's a person, take the portrait and then take the environmental portrait, the picture of the subject in the environment. Like with a polar bear, if you just take a tight headshot, that, that, that picture could be taken in a zoo. No context, right. No context. So that using that environment to help tell the story is very important. So I know, Rick, you, all, you t- also talk about not just you know, creating, making the picture, meaning you will go out of your way to also construct the scene or scenario. Um, do you do a lot of that? Can you tell us what that what that looks like to you or where you get these ideas? Well, you could make the picture in a studio, obviously, if you're doing a still life by moving, you know, if you're doing fruit or flowers, moving the fruit or flowers around. But um, I think just by moving around... Uh, looking for different mm. viewpoints, you mm. can turn a snapshot uh, into a great shot. For example, we were out in Zion National Park that you mentioned before, uh, mm. working on my Kelby One class on exploring Utah's uh, n- uh, national and state parks. Anyway, uh, we're walking around. I walked over this bridge, and uh, there were these beautiful rocks in the river and the mountain in the back and the trees and everything. But from the bridge, it was a boring snapshot. So just mm-hmm. by moving six feet, like walking to the end of the bridge and moving down, I'm looking at the picture on my wall here. You know, now mm-hmm. I have the rocks. I have the rocks just like uh, maybe uh, two feet away from the lens. And all these rocks are leading the viewer into the scene. And I have the mm-hmm. mountains in the back. And because I use a wide-angle lens, small aperture, and focused one-third into the scene, everything in the scene is in focus. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I I made the picture that way. And it just really goes back to that, you know, that one-picture promise. Do you want, like in this case, you want to shoot from the the bridge or you want to just move six feet and get a much more artistic image? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. And so what I'm hearing now is it's 
lens choice and then moving around to find interesting angles. Those at least are two things you do when you're out to make sure that you leave with a great shot on each of your trips. And 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 your focus and, and your aperture. I tell people right. just because you have an autofocus camera doesn't mean that the camera knows where to focus. Right. right. So sometimes by blurring the background and using a wide aperture and focusing on the eye is good. And sometimes the opposite is true. So mm-hmm. I think if we think about how can we make a picture better, how can we, you know, and Ansel Adams did this, you know, he, he, he moved around a lot. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So you are, you know, you're, you're coming back with all these images. What do you do with these pictures? Well, this is a good question because Susan will tell you that no matter how tired I am at night mm-hmm. and before dinner, we always have happy hour because it's a long day, right? I'm entitled to happy hour. <laughs> right. We have happy hour and then we have dinner. I do not go to sleep until I have picked my best pictures from that day and put them in a folder. Oh. So I go through my pictures. I go, so like if we're in um, Galapagos or whatever, on day one, I would I would have a folder day one, and if I shoot four cards, day one A, day one B, day one C, day one D, and I put those, uh, I pick the best of, and I put those in a folder, and rarely do I go back, do I go back to the uh, to the other pictures to see if mm-hmm. I, I may have missed something, but I do not go to sleep without picture pick, picking, and probably cropping my best pictures. I don't edit on site because, you know, the fluorescent lights uh, in the cabin of a boat or mm-hmm. the dim lights in a, in a safari tent would affect the color on the screen. Right. So I don't, uh, uh, the color and the exposure. So I do that when I get home on my calibrated monitor. <laughs> uh, which Why I think, is it important for you to pick it each, each day? Why is that important? Because I would have too many pictures. That, that way I know what I have. And there's, mm-hmm. then I have less pressure on myself to get something. But I think it's mostly knowing what I have. Okay, I have this. Then uh, say we're in Antarctica and I want pictures of ice. I can go back very easily afterwards. And rather than going through, you know, if, if I take thousands of pictures on, on a trip, not on a day, uh, then I only have to go through maybe a few dozen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because I write books, I think about how I could put these in articles. I think about, in posts, I could think about how I can use these pictures. But this comes easy because I've been doing it. I, I switched to digital in 2000. So mm-hmm. it's it's easier. It's easy for me. So most of your images are used for your own products, teaching, writing your books. Are you ever shooting on on, on on assignment? Nope. Are you still doing that kind of work? Not really. Not really. You know, when Susan and I are hired to go on uh, on these expeditions, like we were up in the high Arctic with a company called the Poseidon Expedition. So I'm a guest lecturer there, right? Okay. So part of that deal of being the guest lecturer is to give them some pictures. So it's not really an assignment for them. And I do give them my best pictures, and they can do whatever they want with the pictures, for mm-hmm. sure. But you still get to shoot what you want, so. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. There's no assignments, and I've always done that. I think I had one assignment for. Actually, actually, I did have one assignment. Do you remember Dave Metz at Canon? I do. Okay, well, he's the one who invited me in to be the Canon Explorer, Canon Explorer of Light in 2003. 
2003. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in 2001, Canon was going to introduce the first, I think it was 2001. I think it was the first digital Rebel camera. Mm-hmm. And I did get an assignment from Dave Metz at Canon. He says, we want you to go to New York City and uh, take some really good pictures. So this is my first assignment for Canon. And I had no dreams even of being in Canon Explorer of Light. You know, they had the world's greatest photographers in there, right? And I was really just right. kind of starting out back then. So I was actually sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, you know, remember that TV commercial that from the 80s, Never Let Them See You Sweat? Right. So I, I was do. sweating, but I was smiling. And, and, <laughs> and Dave said something to me that I changed the whole assignment. So I'm kind of nervous, right? I got to go to the city. I only have three days to do this. Mm-hmm. And on the way out, he put his hand on my shoulder and he just said, Rick, have fun with this. Hmm. And that have fun with it uh, changed my whole attitude. And I, the whole I got, mindset, right. And I got this picture of this young kid on the Brooklyn Bridge. He's holding uh, like one of the uh, the steel cables there and he's doing like a side, like a handstand. Mm. And it's it's picture cannon used on the cover of the brochure. But nice. if D- Dave didn't say have fun with it, I don't think it, I, I would have done the same thing. So huh. he was a mentor for sure. Sure. Interesting. Um, back to the I, one question I forgot to ask you when we were when you talked about your your planning. Do you plan for times of day where the light is? Do you do any of that looking to see when the sun will be, where it will be, and plan your daily schedule based on that, or do you just? No. How do you approach that? Yeah. Well, when people come on my workshops, I tell them two things: one, you snooze, you lose, and the other thing is you can sleep when you're dead. <laughs> meaning that if we're going to Africa on a workshop, we're going to get up at oh dark 30 and we're going to be out looking for animals, you know, before the sun mm-hmm. comes up. And we stay out until after the sun sets. Um, right. So we do plan, if possible, uh, the uh, the uh, photo shoots around around uh, the light. We do an mm-hmm. Oregon Coast workshop. Uh, Susan and I, we have a book out, uh, Oregon Coast uh, mm-hmm. photo road mm-hmm. trip. I think you've seen it. Anyway, we plan that around not only the light, but around the tides, which is very important uh, because we, you, what you want to do is you want to be at these different locations of the Oregon coast at low tide. So the sure. sea anemones and the starfish are exposed, which means you need boots because you're going to be walking through tide pools in the water. So all this stuff, all this planning is uh, very important. Now, on the high Arctic and Antarctica trips, uh the photo shoots are by, well, you could shoot from the ship, but you get to land by Zodiac. So the, and you have mm-hmm. to be in a group, no matter who you go with. So, um, right. so the, it's, it's, we don't have as much control then, but <laughs> up, up in the, up in the Arctic, you know, it's the land of the midnight sun. We open the curtains on our, in our room at midnight and it's like, looks like day. Man, how, how crazy is that? Yeah. Um, so, Someone with your travel experience, I, 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 I'm starting out. I need to create my bucket list of the five places I, I absolutely want to photograph. W- what's your suggestion? What are the top five places you've been to and photographed? Well, uh, having been to so many countries, believe it or not, right. I might say start out in Utah. Oh. Zion National Park's amazing. Bryce is breathtaking. 
um, Arches, Arches National Park and Canyonlands and Dead Horse Point State Park. All those last three places are relatively close to each other. You know, we've been to these parks several times. They're amazing. I mean, they're awe-inspiring. So I would say if I could pick one place in the United States, actually, hmm. Utah's great and the Oregon coast is great. Both these places offer wonderful wildlife opportunities. I, I would say going on an African photo safari is mm -hmm. uh, life-changing because you see the circle of life. You know, you see might see a baby giraffe being born and the mother licking it and whatever, and then these lions come in and kill the baby giraffe, and then while the mm. mother you know goes away, but is looking on like from over a tree. Of course, it's very sad, but then you right. see the cute lion cubs, and you realize they have to eat. So mm -hmm. uh, Africa, so it's. Um, uh, Utah, the Oregon coast, I would say an African photo safari, and I would recommend Botswana because Kenya is very crowded with safari vehicles. You're going to see way more animal, way more animals. You might see 5,000 animals at one time during the great migration in Kenya and Tanzania, but you're also going to see way more people. In Botswana, you're going to see fewer animals and way fewer people. <laughs> okay. So, so that would be great. Uh, India. Although it's one of the most polluted places on the planet. And mm. when Susan and I went there earlier this year in 2019, uh, we were both hacking. And I got this horrible cough that lasted for oh, several no. weeks because it's so polluted. But despite that, we're going to go back because it's so beautiful. Uh, right. And the people are so friendly. Uh, if I had to pick uh, one more, maybe uh, China. China offers unbelievable photo opportunities. And of course, well, actually, Antarctica. That's for many people, Antarctica is on the bucket list. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, what what lens is almost always in your bag? And, and, and what bodies are you shooting with? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I have switched totally to the uh, EOS R, the, uh, the mirrorless camera. And mm -hmm. so I have the new, I have the new, excuse me, with a new uh, 24 to a 105. And I, I I travel with the 16 to 35. And if I think I'm going to use it, the 8 to 15 millimeter lens and the... I have the 70 to 200 F4, which is smaller, lighter, and cheaper, as you know, than the 2.8 because right. I shoot outside. And the 100 to 400. So I have a variety of uh, uh, lenses, but I love the R. I, I really love the... You know, what, what do you love about the R? Tell me about that. Well, one. you know what, Len? As you know, you know a lot it, of people say, "Oh, I'm going, I'm going mirrorless because I want smaller and lighter," right? Right. What I love is the viewfinder. You know, when mirrorless yes. cameras first came out, I said, "I am never," because <laughs> mm -hmm. the viewfinders basically sucked, right? Right. It's right. horrible. But the viewfinders now are so good. Uh, I, I, now, not only can you see a great image, okay, but you can see the live histogram. You can see your exposure compensation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am addicted to that uh, that uh, that viewfinder and the screen. So, and I do like the smaller size, but the main reason I switched is because of the viewfinder. I and I also like in with with the viewfinder that you can review your images and see them like you would with the loop. You needed a loop back in the day, and now I just look in there and I can zoom in and see everything. Well, you know what? Wow. You bring up a good point, and I forgot to mention this, so thank you in advance. When mm -hmm. I'm photographing people, like with the digital SLR, 
I want to make sure I got the shot, got the expression, got the light and everything, right? So say mm -hmm. I'm taking a picture of you, I shoot, I take the camera away from my eye and I look at the screen. So, mm -hmm. right, if I'm doing this while I'm photographing you, you're going to get distracted and you might look to the left or the right or whatever or think, oh, he's not interested, mm -hmm. he's more interested in the picture. Because that viewfinder can stay, it, because that image can stay in the viewfinder for a couple of seconds, I don't have to move, mm. I don't have to take it away from my eye. So this is another great feature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's a good point. That's a very good point. All right, good stuff. All right, so you're teaching, where are you teaching coming up now, next? I know you're always, you've always got a few workshops in yeah. the works. Well, What's next uh, uh, when is this going to air? In a couple weeks. Okay, this is going to air in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going up. Um, actually, I'm looking at all my workshops are filled for this year. I'm doing a workshop with Scott Kelby, by the way, in China, but it's full. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, we're going over there. We've been there. I've been there before, and he hasn't been. So we're going to rural China in uh, September. But actually, for 2020, and it's not too early to sign up for a workshop because as you mentioned they sell out we're doing mount rainier uh in october of 2020 and we're going back to the high arctic with poseidon uh and we're going to greenland with uh poseidon Ooh. and uh you know i always have uh they're basically workshops which are my classes on kelby one i think i have mm -hmm. more classes there than anyone i think i have like 16 16 classes Wow. I love teaching. No, the, you do, and you're, you're very good at it. I, I've watched a number of your Kelby One classes and gotten inspiration from them. Thank Tell you. me about Mount, Mount Rainier. Like, what what do you see there? Like, what are you photographing there? I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, you know what? My, my son asked me the same question. He says, you know, do you, do you go to Mount Rainier? Do you, do, do you, hike, uh, do you hike Mount Rainier? On my website, right. which is ricksalmon.com, I have all these galleries, and at the bottom of the galleries, it lists Mount Rainier, and Mount Rainier is stunning. Although it's like one mountain, unlike the Grand Tetons, which are, you know, mm -hmm. several mountains, it's one mountain. But I don't know if you could go on while you're recording, but I just went on. But um, it's, it's spectacular landscape photography. You always have, or almost always have, these beautiful lenticular clouds that look like ice cream cones. Mm. Uh, in the sky. Um, so they're like around Mount Rainier and in the surrounding area. You have beautiful lakes, beautiful streams, which are great for long exposure photography with a, with an ND filter. You have beautiful wildflowers. You have mm. spectacular sunrises and sunsets. Uh, mm. This is the fifth time I'm going there. And actually, my co-leader for this is uh, Freddie Clark. I think you know right. Freddie. Mm -hmm. He put the whole uh, workshop together. I said, uh, hey, we've been there so many times. If you put it together, we'll do it. So, um, yeah, it's it's a lot, lot of fun. It's so peaceful, so quiet. But it's mm -hmm. it's these when people see these lenticular clouds, uh, you know, uh, shrouding the mountain and in the sky, it's just so beautiful. Wow, that, that does sound spectacular. Yeah, and you fly to Seattle, and it's a short drive, like an hour and a half. Mm, okay. And uh, you've got books on the horizon as well. You want to tell us about those? Sure. Thank you. Well, our last, our most recent book is The Oregon Coast Road Trip. But right. uh, uh, 
I have a book coming out later this year. It's called Phototherapy, Motivation, and Wisdom. And it ha here's a spoiler alert. It has no pictures in it, not a single. <laughs> well, there's a picture on the cover and a picture on the back cover. Mm. Uh, but that's it. And it's 30,000 words so far because I poured my heart and, and my soul into this uh, picture. It's everything I know about photography. And people say, what? A book, a photo book with no pictures? Well, it's kind of like what we're doing. We're having an right. audio podcast where we can describe a photograph, right, mm -hmm. without a visual. So I have uh, Skip Cohen writing uh, for that. Trey Ratcliffe wrote the introduction, Scott, uh, the forward. Scott Bourne wrote the uh, introduction. Uh, Derek Story, another great podcaster, is contributing. Mm -hmm. I have all these people contributing either a chapter or, or a, a thought. Uh, I have a story on meditation. Did you meet Linda Marshall? I did not. Uh, she was she was on the uh, a can. She's been on a few of my workshops. She was on the Canon Miami workshop. Anyway, she teaches meditation. She's a life coach, oh. and she talks about how photography can be like a meditation. So, and I have all my life experiences, all the stories, you know, uh, how to get lucky and, uh, and uh, <laughs> well, not how to get lucky really, but how to uh, improve your luck. But uh, uh, I talk about in there emotional intelligence for photographers, which is very mm. important. I talk about the difference between seeing and looking, how mm -hmm. what we talked about before creating your own reality, mm -hmm. and uh, actually how... Um, Photography can improve your health and sense of well-being. Wow. I can't wait to see this. This is a lot, oh, lot, send of, good, a copy. lot of good information. Thanks. So so you, you gave us your website, ricksalmon.com. Is there anywhere else people should go to follow you and all of the you're producing? Well, I would say it's there and on Kelby One, kelbyone.com. Uh, tons of great classes by uh, other photographers there too. So um, I'll yeah. have links for all those for you. Pardon? Uh, yeah, I'll include links to oh, all of thank those. Thank you. So that'd be great. Okay. Thank you. Excellent. Well, thanks, Rick. Did we miss anything that you wanted to talk about today? No, I just want to thank you uh, for uh, being my friend and for having me on the show and for doing this great podcast. I think it's a great uh, service uh, for the people out there and uh, with Canon cameras, even for people who don't have Canon cameras. Uh, I know the guests that you've had on are super, so I'm honored to be on your show. Thank you so much, Rick. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for hanging out with Rick and I for episode 115 of the EOS Photographer Podcast. I hope you learned as much as you were inspired. As you can tell, Rick provides both in abundance. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes and provide a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. That helps us spread the word and attract more great guests for you. Also, tell a friend about us. I really appreciate that as well. Won't keep you much longer. I am glad you're a part of this community. Keep on coming back. I'll talk to you again next week. Take care.